Hey, welcome to Conversations on the Co-Mission. This is where we're talking about the trends, the topics, and the issues and missions that impact both our missionaries and churches around the world. My name is Tony Balava, and I have with me uh, our Southeast Asia director, Stephen Madoff, our co-host. Well, hello there, Tony. Um, Me and you have just had an exciting week in our lives. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have just concluded our BIMI leadership meeting Mm -hmm. where we have had the privilege to hear from all the various field directors associated with our ministry and all that God is doing around the world. Tremendous blessing. What a blessing to be a part of that and to hear what God is doing in so many areas of the world. I mean, the the statistics of of people coming to Christ, churches Mm -hmm. being established, Mm baptisms right happening right. all over mm-hmm. it was pretty yeah, exciting it was uh, yeah and so yeah. we're so thankful for what what God is doing but you know it makes me also then think mm-hmm. about how much more is still left to be done mm-hmm. there's so mm-hmm. much to be done and of course my focus and emphasis is on Southeast Asia right. and the South Pacific mm-hmm. region and yours of course is the far north right. and I think that's what we want to spend some time talking about today sure. is let's put the spotlight in on your part of the world today. Great. Uh, You know, I can, just like all of the directors, any missionary who's got a certain part of the field, I could probably spend hours talking about the far north and the need in far north. We had a great uh, previous year. You know, we, as directors at that meeting, give our stats and all. And um, I was really encouraged uh, to uh, see that our our missionaries, our BIMI missionaries, in the past year had reported, I think, just about a 10% increase in professions of faith. But I was super encouraged also to read that they had uh, reported a 26%, just over 26% increase in baptisms. And and I really get excited about the baptisms because that tells me somebody who's made that profession of faith is really committed and moving forward in their walk with the Lord. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. So why don't we just kind of break this down a bit and then kind of we'll start high in kind of the generalities and then come down real into the into the weeds of it a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't you explain when we hear far north, okay, what does that mean? Because geographically sometimes BIMI doesn't really line up with, you know, kind of, <laughs> that's like me, yeah. Southeast Asia, and I don't have the Philippines. So it just, yeah. we kind of do our mm-hmm. own thing. So explain what what covers, what parts of the world cover sure. the far north. Well, as far as BIMI is concerned, geographically, we probably got it right, although we probably excluded some countries that could have been included, uh, just like maybe your area of the world. Uh, But uh, BIMI's far north has designated it this way, Alaska, Canada, and Greenland, a massive portion of the globe, not so huge population-wise as compared to a lot of other places, but a very needy place and uh, just a tremendous need and opportunity for laborers, laborers in the north. When I think of Canada, Greenland, and Alaska, well, obviously Alaska is U.S. state. Mm-hmm. So do you think it's different than, you know, like, is there a need for a field director for Alaska compared to just like some guy going to Alabama or something? It, how is it different? What's the what's the uniqueness of that? I would imagine there's got to be a culture difference even compared to anything else in the in the lower 48. Sure. Well, Alaska is different in the sense of what you just said. The culture is going to be very, very different. Uh, whether we're talking about 
the indigenous people of Alaska or even people who have moved to Alaska, you're going to find a very different culture in, in that state than you are in really almost any of our lower 48s. The closest that might represent it be representative of Alaska in the lower 48 would probably be some of those more remote northwestern states. And you would find that most people are in Alaska. A lot of them want to just kind of be left alone. And uh, they uh, are there for the purpose of this is where I want to live and kind of I'm going to live and you can let me live and and leave me alone a little bit. Uh, Not that they're completely unfriendly or anything, but that's just the mindset. Mm. Then you have Canada and, of course, I think there's just some natural stereotypes that pop into people's mind. Hockey, mm-hmm. you know, someone yeah. going A at the end of every sentence <laughs> and things of that nature. So what's just kind of take a big picture look. What's Canada like? Uh, well, Canada is a very diverse country. I don't think that most people uh, realize how diverse Canada is. Uh, culturally diverse and ethnically diverse. Go to on the West Coast, Vancouver, and uh, they say the largest uh, Chinese population outside of mainland China lives in that Vancouver area. So very, very heavily uh, influenced by an Asian culture. If you go to the other side of the country and, and in Quebec, uh, you'll find a French-Canadian culture, really heavily influenced and still French-speaking. And so very heavily influenced by a European-type culture. And then you go to Toronto, just over 49% of everybody who lives in Toronto today was born somewhere else in the world than Canada. So you can imagine how diverse that is. People coming from uh, the 1040 window, a lot of them, Canada is accepting a million immigrants this year, and most of those are going to come out of the 1040 window. Wow. Wow, that's neat. And we'll, we'll definitely talk a bit more about that. Mm-hmm. The third uh, place in your, in your region would be Greenland. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, let me be honest. The only thing I know about Greenland is the old phrase of Greenland is the one with the ice and Iceland is the one that's green. <laughs> Beyond that, I don't know yeah. if I know much about Greenland. So help yeah. us out because that's probably all that most people know about Greenland. Well, well, Greenland is, you know, it is a massive, massive area, but its population is more along the coastline. 57,000 people live in Greenland. And uh, the 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 challenge in Greenland is, is multiple, I think, uh, number one is Greenland is ice. Because of the weather, it is so inaccessible so often. And from one place to the other, even though there's only about 57,000 people that live in Greenland, honestly, just to be able to reach the different villages and all, we have estimated that it would take about 36 missionary families to really start to effectively evangelize that place just because you can't get from village A to village B for a lot of the year. The other challenge would be, uh, as an American missionary or U.S. missionary, English-speaking missionary, you really need to learn two languages to go to Greenland. You need to learn Danish so that you can go to language school where Greenlandic is taught, but it's taught from uh, in a Danish in the Danish language. And so, uh, and then also all the government uh, procedures, all the all your interaction with the government is going to be in Danish, not in Greenlandic. So, uh, some challenges there for sure. Wow, wow, that's interesting. I think I'm just like every other person, really. And when I think about some of these these places specifically, is that when I think of missions, I can't say that Greenland, Alaska, and Canada are the first places in the world that pop in my mind. 
you know, mm-hmm. I, I think the average person thinks of Africa, mm-hmm. you know, then maybe yeah. thinks of uh, some other remote areas. But mm-hmm. these these places don't really kind of jump into my mind as, yeah. oh, yeah, missionaries, yeah. we need to send missionaries there. So religiously, what is it like? Um, from a religious perspective, you're going to find pretty much every kind of religion you can imagine in the world, you're going to find it in the far north in some area. Um, you're going to find animism in surely in Greenland. You'd find it in Alaska. You'll find it in Canada as well with the with the um, indigenous people or the First Nations people, as they call them in, in Canada. Um, you'll find Roman Catholicism. You will find... Uh, Buddhism, you will find really just a plethora of religions across the board. Um, it seems like, honestly, um, if you can name it, it's there in some aspect. Mm, okay. Now, you had the privilege of serving the Lord in Quebec. Mm-hmm. And again, all I know about them really is they're French, mm-hmm. you know, and they often just try to decide are we going to stay a part of Canada or annex ourselves out. <laughs> right. That's, that's again, all I know. Mm-hmm. So kind of break down, you know, what was it like there, and then how is that similar or different than kind of some of the other parts of Canada? So Quebec is really very different from the rest of Canada. It's it's really, a lot of people will ask me, well, what's it like in Canada? And they'll, they'll mention something, and I'll say, you know, it's really not fair for me to comment on that from a person who's lived in Quebec from that perspective because it is so very different than the rest of Canada and English-speaking Canada. Um, they do have a very unique culture, and they, they do cling to that. The area we served in was very, very French-speaking. Um, but if you're down in Montreal, you'll find a lot of English speakers now. In fact, uh, recently when my family and I, last time we were in Montreal, we were surprised when we would walk into a business and, uh, and be greeted by people who spoke instantly English to you. Now, they hadn't heard us speak amongst ourselves or anything. It was just the language that they chose. Um, and that's not you. that was not the norm when we lived there. You were always greeted uh, in French, and you responded in French. But in, in Montreal, it's very different now. Very diverse again. A lot of Muslims in uh, Montreal when I was there. Honestly, uh, probably the largest religious group that I came across other than human secularism was uh, Islam. Now go to the north, go a little bit further into the interior of Quebec, and you'll still find a very heavily uh, Catholic uh, influence there. Wow. No, that's interesting. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm a hockey fan, so everything I pick up on is through hockey. And I even learned the Canadian National Anthem because of watching <laughs> the hockey games where they sing it out at the mm-hmm. before each mm-hmm. games. But I know there's so much more to it. Now, I do know this. It's cold up there. <laughs> you, you know, you get the cold parts of the yeah. world. Yeah. And I would guess that that sort of makes your region somewhat unattractive Mm-hmm. To someone considering missions, yeah. because let's face it, do I want to go to a place where it's like below zero all the time, yeah. or do I want to go to a place that's got a nice average temperate weather, mm-hmm. and and also, do you find as you go to churches or you promote the far north, do you find that that's a barrier that people sort of have kind of subconsciously built in about man, yeah. I can't go there; it's too cold. Yeah, well, you know. 
It is cold. In the area that my family and I uh, served, uh, it was pretty regularly uh, during those winter months. Um, and by the way, snow started to fly in September, and you could expect it to be off the ground uh, end of May, beginning of June. And so, you know, just have those couple of months. Uh, we would experience 40 below on a very regular basis. It is cold. Uh, you do have the snow. You have the wind. Uh, the weather is not what a lot of people like. And honestly, I do hear a lot of times people will tell me, I could never go there. I could never handle the cold. Um, years ago, I heard somebody make a statement, and it really stuck with me. I think I was in a missions conference when I heard somebody make this statement, and, and they said, you know, uh, the world will do for gold what a lot of Christians will not do for God. And I heard that statement, and it just really it resonated with me. And I began to think about the far north. I began to think about that, that very excuse. Well, it's cold. It's freezing there, and I wouldn't want to go. You know, in the end of the 1800s, we had a major thing happen in, in the United States and Canada. We call it the gold rush. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people rushed into Alaska and into the Yukon region of Canada and uh, faced those cold weathers, uh, that cold weather and uh, just all the harsh environmental things in the pursuit of gold. Honestly, to this day, that is still happening across the far north. Uh, in Alaska, you think of the oil fields. Mm. They're still searching for minerals across all of Canada that exist. In Quebec, there's a, a particular place where we have a missionary serving in, in an area called Val d'Or, Valley of Gold, where a gold mining company literally came in and bought all the land from underneath people's houses, paid to move their houses to another place so they could mine gold in that particular <laughs> wow. city. People are exploring the north of, of Greenland. We have countries like Australia, where you served, spending millions and millions and millions of dollars to explore the far north of Greenland for minerals. And so you look and you say, well, these people are doing this for gold, for the riches. Mm. But we don't have a lot of people flocking to the north with the gospel. And, you know, as harsh as that statement is, people will do for gold what they won't do for God. It's a harsh reality in the North as well. And uh, it really, honestly, it's one of those things that kind of I think about often. It breaks my heart to think that there are so many people out there willing to do for a material that's going to perish and burn away uh, what they're not willing to do for eternal souls. And uh, there's just such a tremendous need for those who will say, you know what, it doesn't matter if it's 40 below. Uh, I'll, I'll weather the 40 below. Look, it's going to be, I don't know what the climate in heaven is, but I know it's perfect. <laughs> so you're going to have an eternity of perfect. Uh, so if it's just a lifetime here on earth, whatever that is, spending it in the far north, but souls are saved, it would be worth it. And honestly, maybe I'm a little different. Maybe I'm made for the cold. I enjoy it. Uh, I would, I've been to Papua New Guinea, you're, you're part of the world. That's not a place I would want to go because of the heat, but I hope that God would put it in my heart and I would be willing to go to Papua New Guinea if he called me there because the cause is so much greater than yeah. just gold or oil or diamonds or whatever we're finding. We're talking about precious souls of people. And I appreciate what you're saying. That's, that's a great perspective on it because, you know, when you think about all these companies that you've mentioned mm -hmm. that are mining for gold or minerals or whatever, yeah. That means that there are workers right. who are on the ground literally doing mm -hmm. the work. It's not just kind of a corporation doing it. Right. There's guys doing mm -hmm. it. 
And yeah, what a perspective if we can have individuals do the same thing for the cause of Christ. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> I know that work, spiritual work is slow up in Alaska, Canada, and I imagine Greenland as it well. Is. Yeah. That, you know, you have missionaries that labor for years and and they don't see robust fruit. They don't see mm-hmm. churches blossom mm-hmm. as in maybe sometimes in other countries where it happens. They don't see lots of results from the labor that they do. Mm-hmm. If I was a if I was a pastor, mm-hmm. wouldn't it be easy for me to consider like okay, I have two missionaries that want to come into my church, someone that wants to go to a place that's kind of more fruitful, I guess mm-hmm. if I could put it that way. Or someone who wants to go to Canada, where it's mm-hmm. like, all right, they labor for years, and we may see just a handful of folks come mm-hmm. to Christ. How do I fight against that? How do I fight against that idea of, well, let me go where I'm going to get better bang for my buck <laughs> compared to sending someone who's not going to see much result happen? Yeah, I think um, I think you start with your perspective on the value of a soul. Uh, recently in my devotions, I was reading about uh, Peter sitting on the roof. Uh, you know, I think it's Acts chapter 10, pa- Peter sitting on the on the roof. You know, he's having his devotions. God drops down the, the sheet from heaven. It's got all these unclean animals on it. He says, take and eat. And Peter says, not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean. And you go through those chapters. What has really come back to me time and time and time again is how important the souls of those Peter, uh, those people that Peter was sent to go see were to God. You know, he, there was a lot involved to get Peter to go to a Gentile place, a Gentile family, and give them the gospel. And it really just spoke to me about how God values one soul. And I think most pastors at one time or another have made this statement, probably from the pulpit, if you are the only person in the world Jesus loves you so much, he would die for you. He would have come even just for you and you alone. I believe there's a lot of biblical truth to that statement. You know, we make those statements. We can read in the book of Acts where Peter had to really be kind of pushed along by the Lord to go mm-hmm. and witness to the Gentiles. And um, you see the value of a soul. And I think that instead of looking and saying, well, we want, you know, we want to go where things are happening. Uh, you know, we just heard the report out of Asia, out of Asia uh, this week. And, you know, I think they said there was 18,000 professions of faith, most of those happening in the Philippines. Yep. And who doesn't want to go to a place like that where it's really exciting? And uh, But the people in the far north... They need the gospel just as much, and their souls are worth just as much as anybody else. And And if somebody goes and spends 40 years and they only win a handful of people to Lord Jesus Christ, I believe they're still going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I believe there's still fruit that abounds to that supporting church's account as a result of that. You know, well, that's powerful. Just kind of going through it again. I've not been to Alaska, nor have I been to Greenland, but I've definitely been through Canada. And outside of, say, Toronto or Montreal or even Vancouver, mm-hmm. those are the metropolises, mm-hmm. you know, kind of our sure. equivalent of L.A., New York, yeah. you know, kind of thing. But then you got in the middle, I mean, you got the prairie lands right. of uh, Saskatchewan and Manitoba. Uh, Manitoba. Yeah, Alberta. Now, how much church work is happening there? I mean, 
So it's it's happening. Um, you know, it there are churches and good, solid uh, Bible-believing churches in those prairie provinces of Canada, those middle provinces, what we would identify as the Midwest of our country. Uh, and there's some good, good churches there and some good men and their families doing work. Um, from our standpoint with BIMI, uh, we have never really had a strong influence in those provinces. And one of the things I'm really praying about in this year coming, and, and I know we're in, you know, we're in August, but I look at our year as, okay, we just had directors meeting. Here's the new things coming up mm-hmm. for the year to come. And one of the things I've really been praying about, and I really have been since uh, becoming Far North Director, is those prairie provinces and that we would see uh, men and women and, and their families take the gospel to those areas as well. There's such a tremendous need. So many people that live in those areas. I was just speaking with our, uh, our vice president and executive director, Dr. Uh, J.B. Godfrey, and he was telling me about a, a group of Congolese people. He said he thinks there's probably close to a thousand of them living in the prairie provinces and in one group. And uh, he said, you know, I wish that you and I would just go up there and we could find somebody because I believe that that somebody could go and reach those people. They are looking actually for a place to connect with as a church. And and so not that they're all Christians and they're all saved, but there's just a tremendous opportunity there. Now, you just touched on the Congolese people. And earlier, when you were kind of giving in the overview, you talked about how so many people coming from foreign countries mm-hmm. moving in. You said yeah. Canada is immigrating at least a million folks this right. year and mm-hmm. things. I, I would imagine that that creates a wonderful opportunity to reach people from other parts of the world, sometimes even parts of the world we can't get missionaries mm-hmm. into, yeah. that they may come to Canada. And it, talk a little bit about that. Talk about sure. this kind of opportunity of the world coming to a place where we can get to and yeah. kind of share the gospel with them. Yeah, you know, um, about a year and a half, maybe two years ago, my family and I were driving across uh, British Columbia. We were on the eastern side and going down into Vancouver. And as we were making our way across and hitting some of those more highly populated areas, I mentioned to my uh, family, I said, you know, this is kind of like the 1040 window in the north. And there are just so many people who have come there from the 1040 window. I met and went soul winning with a man in Vancouver uh, who immigrated from Ethiopia. 1040 window. Uh, There's people from Senegal over in Montreal and just began to think about that and that statement 1040 in the north and we've created this uh, project or started this project called the 1040 north and you can see more about that in detail on the uh, BIMI.org far north page with a video there that presents 1040 north the idea of it is simply this let's reach these immigrants these human resources we're all about getting to the gold and the mineral Mm -hmm. and those resources let's reach these human resources that God has put on our northern border and see them saved, see them get involved in missions and in their local church right there in that country in Canada, but also reach back into those 1040 window nations where they have access and ability that it would take a missionary, an outsider, years and even decades to uh, to attain. Let me give you just a, an example. Absolutely. I'd love the, to hear the, one. The man I, uh, I was soul winning with on on a Saturday morning in Vancouver. He's from Ethiopia. 
I didn't arrange this. He had already, the Lord had already put this on his heart. But from our church in Arizona, we had a young lady who married a, a man from Arizona. They serve in Ethiopia today. And they had been up to our, our missionaries' uh, church there in the Vancouver area, met this Ethiopian man. And, and God put it on his heart, and he said, you know, I'm not going to go back to Ethiopia, but I own land, and I own property, and even buildings there. And he has given to that missionary couple out of Arizona, the young lady from our church, given to them his property wow. to, start a, to start a church in Ethiopia. It would take them 10-plus years to be able to establish themselves in Ethiopia to be able to, you know, get that kind of property and get that kind of start. I mentioned Senegal, and I think probably subconsciously on purpose, um, young man emigrated from Senegal to Montreal, met one of our BIMI church planters there, and he immigrated with this idea, I'm going to go get a better life, become a engineer, and go to college as an engineer. Well, he gets connected with one of our BIMI church planters, and God begins to work in his heart as he hears the word of God, as he's discipled and he's growing in Christ. He's in Bible college today. His heart's desire is that God will let him go back to his people mm. and, and begin to reach people with the gospel there. And that's just two great examples of what, what the 1040 North Project is. It's simply this. The 1040 window hasn't changed. It's still in the 1040 window where it always has been. <laughs> but the people from the 1040 window are moving to other places. And I think we need to be strategic in how we look at missions and use those human resources that God has given us in the North to reach back into the 1040, your area of the world, the 1040 window, yep. and reach back in there in a more effective way than maybe we've been able to do in the past. And so I'm really praying that God will use that in a really great way. But to do that, we need more laborers in the North. Wow, I really appreciate all of this, Tony. It's just a great presentation of your your region of Greenland, of Canada, and, and of Alaska. So thank you so very much. If anyone has any uh, questions for our Far North Director, uh, you can email him at farnorthdirector at bimi.org. You'll see it there in the show notes. Uh, also, we encourage you to download, share, rate uh, the podcast if you're enjoying what you're hearing. That would be greatly appreciated. And if you have any kind of suggestions or recommendations uh, for future podcasts, uh, please pass those along. We appreciate those who've already given us some suggestions, and we thank you for that. We look forward to tackling those uh, down the road. But as we wrap up today, may I encourage you, spend some time praying for the far north. Greenland, Canada, and Alaska. Pray that God would call forth laborers. Mm -hmm. Pray that God would help encourage those missionaries out there who are faithfully serving uh, and doing the work of the cause of Christ out there in Canada. Thanks so much for sharing your heart, Tony, and thank you so much for all of you out there listening. May God bless you this week. 